welcome to another edition of Dose of Dog, presented by Embark here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Chance for us to learn a little bit more about dogs. Hey, who doesn't like dogs? Hey, check out Embark on all of the socials, and they've got information on their classes that are always ongoing, doggy daycare as well. Scott here. We've got Heather across the way, as always. Heather, how's it going? It's good. We're going to talk about something today that is um, preemptive, I think, or like proactive. Well, we always hear, I think this is one of those cool things, you know, people interested in adding a dog to the family, bringing dogs in. You, know, you always hear about uh, rescue dogs and things of that nature. And, you know, you've had shows about these various topics before. But specifically today, you're going to kind of talk about things people need to consider before they do bring that dog into the family. Some things that no doubt people have already kind of thought about. You're going to validate that <laughs> thought they've had, but also maybe some things people either assume or mm -hmm. have not thought of beforehand. And this is not to keep people from bringing no, a dog into no. the family, but as you said, <laughs> I'm all to, about that. <laughs> to be, to be pre preemptive so they kind of know what to expect going in. Yeah, we... It's hard, right? Because we, we want to get a puppy and I get it. I mean, I'm a dog lover. We want to get a puppy and we see them and then, oh, you know, <laughs> whatever we thought about in the past goes out the window sometimes because they're so cute. You know, we, we choose dogs on, what is it, cuteness and coat, cute, cuteness, coat color and confirmation. I think are like the three C's that, that the shelters have found that we, we choose dogs for those specific reasons. <laughs> and... I think, you know, I come at this from, I guess, a perspective in which I see a lot of struggles within families that have maybe um, gotten dogs, whether it's rescue, whether they bought a dog, whether they, you know, got a dog from a neighbor, whatever that might look like. And I think sometimes we, we don't always think about some of the needs that the animal has. I mean, I think we always think about the needs, but maybe some of the peripheral needs that, that could we could possibly encounter at some time. Um, adding a dog to our world. So, uh, and I'm probably preaching to the choir because I know a lot of you that listen are, you know, really committed to your dog's welfare and meeting their needs. And, and you've kind of considered all these things, but maybe it'll help someone if they're maybe considering a second dog and, and maybe things they haven't thought of. So um, for some of you, this probably is just redundant information that you've you've actually kind of put the forethought into. But for some of you, maybe there's some things that, maybe we don't really think about. And, you know, having been in this field since, oh gosh, professionally since 98, um, you know, I, I witnessed a lot of struggles that people have had over some of these pieces that we're going to talk about today. Um, and then I think there's the financial piece, you know, not only from an animal welfare perspective, but, you know, there's a huge financial piece when you, you take an animal into your home that, you know, we don't, want to think about that because that's not the fun fuzzy part but I think it's something we we kind of do have to consider because we all run into emergencies at some point so so I have a couple of I have quite a few things on my list that I thought we'd kind of talk about you know the first one is breed of course you know that's an easy one and we're often drawn to specific looks of dogs and that's why we love you know the dogs we do because we like you know the way the dog looks and I, I get it. I'm a sucker for that. I've had flat-coated retrievers since 1996. I love the way they look. I love their temperament. <laughs> um, I love, you know, th that they are who they are. You know, so whether 
you know, you envision yourself having a scruffy little terrier mix or a poodle mix of some sort, um, or you just want a really big dog. You know, I think breed is something to really consider. And we've, we've talked quite a bit about the ethology of breeds and some of the needs that they might have. And I think we can think about one thing to really consider and to really think about before you acquire a dog is what were they bred to do? And again, I know I'm probably beating this because we talk about this a lot in classes and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but think about what the dog was bred to do. So, you know, if you, if you look at the different categories of breeds, you know, we have dogs that are specifically genetically selected to guard things. Well, if you can match that dog to your lifestyle, that's going to be an important piece. I mean, if you have, you know, you have maybe a home where you have a lot of visitors over and, you know, you don't want a dog that's going to kind of stand guard at the door and bark at strangers. (laughs) Uh, Maybe a dog with, that's been bred to, with, to have more guarding characteristics isn't something that you want to add into your home. And I know they're cute. You know, I mean, you know, you look at, a great Pyrenees puppy or a Rottweiler puppy. I mean, oh my gosh, who could resist that? But I want you to think about, you know, what they were bred to do kind of throughout their life because you're, you're probably going to see some of those, you, you most likely will see those behaviors pop out. And so think about that because I think it's only fair to that dog if you kind of know that this could be something that you'll see. And I think there's a misconception that the dog is being bad. Well, you know, they're barking at everyone. But remember they oftentimes have genetics to do these things. So they're not being bad. They're simply doing what their bodies are telling them to do. You know, we talk a lot about the herding dogs in here and how they have been genetically selected to see, you know, to to see contrast in an environment and hypervigilance to motion. And that sometimes for people is annoying. They don't want a dog that micromanages the front you know, bay window in their house. But again, those dogs have been bred to see motion and to do something about it. And it's frustrating when they can't. And so I think that's something to consider. And granted, we don't always know what kind of dog we're getting. You know, we might adopt a dog that we think has, you know, you know, maybe some kind of pit mix and Labrador and, you know, maybe some terrier in it. Well, I think in that context to kind of consider these are things I could see. I think that's smart to consider the things you might see and then think about, will that fit into my lifestyle? And there are dogs that are their, you know, their specific breed that don't exhibit any characteristics of that breed. And that's certainly true too. I mean, you can have a golden retriever who just doesn't like people and that's not abnormal. That can certainly happen. So consider those, those kinds of things too. You know, we, But I think usually if you have a breed of some sort, those, you might see those characteristics kind of pop out in, in, in some of the behaviors that they, that, that you see. Terriers, again, you know, they're bred to kill small vermin. So, you know, if you raise rabbits for a living, that's probably not a good match. (laughs) So matching the breed to your lifestyle is really helpful in determining if, it, if there's going to be behaviors that you don't want to see or you don't want to have to manage or whatever that might look like. And I think it's really important. Breed is really important. Mixes are really important. So considering all of those pieces are going to be important to make sure that you're getting a dog that fits into your lifestyle. Now, that also kind of includes looking at exercise. So what kind of exercise needs does that animal have? So do they do they need, 
you know, a lot of, are they a really athletic breed that needs a lot of exercise? And what are their exercise needs? I mean, you could look at a greyhound. Um, I just was at the vet this morning and saw a greyhound, so that's in my head. Um, their exercise needs are high, but they're very different than maybe a border collie. You know, a greyhound, you need, you know, some really fast zoomies around the yard, you know, a half hour walk, and then they're usually happy to kind of lay on the couch for 23 and a half hours or whatever that might look like. So they have exercise needs, but they're different than maybe a border collie who's always kind of thinking a step ahead of you and you have to really stimulate their brain and their body, which I mean, is true for all dogs. But um, so considering exercise needs, you know, if you get a working line German short hair pointer, I mean, a lot of people can't keep up with that breed. You know, I mean, you look at scheduling races and who's out there winning. It's the short hairs that are coming up hot and fast. Um, and if that's not you and that's not your lifestyle, you're going to run it. You're going to clash probably a little bit. And so considering those kind of pieces of what kind of exercise needs do they do they have? And not only walks and runs and things like that, but moving their body, just move, freely moving their body. Not like a walk on a six foot leash around the neighborhood, but can they be on a long line? Can you go to sniff spot? Do you have a space they can be off leash and they can move their body kind of as they would naturally? I mean, those are just important things to consider when you're looking at adding a dog because it's stressful. You know, if you have a breed that needs a lot of exercise and you have three days at work that are really, really tough and your dog's going to drive you nuts because they their exercise needs haven't been met. I mean, that's, um, you know, another stressor to perhaps add into your life that maybe will be difficult <laughs> to kind of swallow and find time for that. So those are two things, exercise, the breed, grooming is another one. I mean, gosh, you know, there's so many poodle mixes around, Bernadoodles and Labradoodles and Golden Doodles and um, Aussie Doodles. And most of those poodle mixes, they have, there's a significant, um, you know, piece of grooming that that comes with a breed with a heavier coat like that so grooming is something to consider and grooming isn't cheap you know and and well worth it I mean professional groomers are worth their weight in gold and so considering the cost if you are going to have your dog professionally groomed by someone that the cost for grooming is going to be anywhere from you know maybe fifty dollars for a not heavily coated smaller poodle mix of some sort to upwards of like 100, 125 for um, a large doodle with a lot of coat. And so that's a pretty big expense every, you know, six to eight weeks, kind of depending on when, when you're going to get that dog groomed. So that's a, that's a pretty big expense to consider that, you know, every six to eight weeks, you're going to have to make an appointment. I mean, that's a, that's a kind of a big budgeting piece to consider unless you do it yourself. But then again, doing it yourself is a lot of work as well. You know, usually, um, people that don't groom for a living, we're, we're a little slower, right? We're not as like quick with the clippers. <laughs> so sometimes then the time commitment is a little bit more and not only just the grooming, but even the day-to-day -day stuff. I mean, a lot of those curlier breeds, especially the poodle mixes, because their coats are a little bit different than a poodle, they they need to be brushed out quite a bit so you can maintain their coat and kind of keep it as you would like. So, you know, there's a big piece to consider grooming too. And it's hard to find a groomer right now. You know, it's a, there's not a lot of people going into grooming. And so finding a groomer, first of all, and establishing with one 
is is kind of tricky. And then getting them in to be groomed, you know, every six to eight weeks, maybe eight to 10, 12, if you're pushing it, um, is is something to consider that, you know, midday, you might have to go get your dog. And is your work flexible to do that? So I think that's something that um, that is certainly something to consider. And then you have, you know, the double coated breeds like the Malamutes and the Huskies and some of the dogs with more coat. And again, that's a lot of grooming. That's a lot of hair in your house too. If you're, you're not a fan of dog hair, which I feel like everyone listening to this, it's part of our lives, right? (laughs) But again, a big expense. I mean, I think just from a budgeting perspective, uh, the veterinary care, I mean, we all know basic veterinary care, you know, you have yearly exams and fecals and urines and tick panels and then preventative medication for heartworm, um, and tick-borne disease and then vaccines, you know, there's a pretty heavy load as a puppy with a lot of visits. And then that kind of gets spaced out as their, as a vaccine protocol kind of gets spaced out as they get a little bit older. Um, but there's still, you know, quite a bit of veterinary cost involved. Um, and I know it's hard when you get a dog, you don't want to think about the costs, but, I mean, you have to, right? We ha- we have to. I mean, that's part of animal welfare is is veterinary care, and um, you know, again, worth its weight in gold for good veterinary care. And so, considering that, you know, as part of, you know, puppies are going to need visits, um, you know, spaced out with their vaccines every every month, you know, for the first three months, um, you know, and then maybe they have some loose stool, and you're going to have to run a fecal in. Um, you know, maybe they're kind of lame on a leg when they, you know, are wrestling with one of the kids at six months old and that's a veterinary visit. So, um, I know we don't want to consider emergency vet visits, but that's something that, that we have to consider too. And then the other flip side to that is again, emergency visits. I mean, if you are heading into the emergency clinic, it's probably going to run you about a thousand dollars just to kind of step in and do some initial diagnostics. And that's a lot of money. I mean, if you've paid for the puppy and you have the vaccines and you've done a little bit of training, I mean, that's a that's a really big expense. So that's something that we don't want to think about because who wants to think about emergency care for their dogs or their puppies? Um, but I think it's something we have to think about that oftentimes if you are in an emergent situation, um, you know, that's minimum a thousand dollars, it's probably going to look more from like the three to five thousand dollar end. So that's something that we have to consider too, that, you know, it's not going to be, you know, just a quick hundred dollars or whatever that emergency, emergency care is, is quite pricey. And why? Because it's emergency care. We can get in right away, which is really fantastic that, that we in the veterinary, in the veterinary world, we have that kind of available to us. So, um, emergency veterinary care, which again, we don't want to have to think about. And even kind of more acute, not necessarily acute veterinary emergencies, but maybe something chronic like a torn cruciate, you know, um, maybe a broken carpus. I mean, all of those things, I mean, surgeries as well are going to cost you, you know, between three to, God, what did I hear quoted the other day? $7,000 for maybe a cranial cruciate tear in a bigger dog. Um, and none of us want to think about that, right? We don't want to think, you know, we got this puppy and, you know, at age two, they're going to need a $7,000 surgery. But I think that's something we have to think about too, because it happens, um, quite often and something to, again, kind of consider and then training, right? Well, actually let's go back to that, to the vet and the emergency thing, because, you know, there is pet insurance out there. And I think a lot of people are looking into pet insurance these days just because of the cost of veterinary care. Um, and I'm, I'm not, 
a fan of saying find the cheapest veterinary care. I mean, I I will stand by that. <laughs> I think I think um, to get good veterinary care, you're going to pay for what you get. So um, I I think that's valid. But insurance too. A lot of people are are buying insurance, and you know most insurances will cover you know seventy percent of your veterinary bill, which is fantastic, especially if you have a big heavy hitter like a uh, cranial cruciate tear. To be able to cover something like that is is great when you don't have to pay out of pocket like that. So, um, in insurance, I think last I looked, I think insurance was probably going to be for most dogs anywhere from thirty bucks a month to like seventy, eighty bucks a month. I think for um, most companies, and there's a lot of them out there that are doing um, insurance. So, something to take on. And again, it's wise to start that when your dog is a puppy because they don't have any, you know, pr- they don't have any current, um, you know, conditions that would exempt them from being covered. So starting as a puppy is always a better idea, which again is another cost incurred um, if you start them as a puppy to add that insurance in. So um, something else to kind of consider too. And then we look at the, you know, the periphery stuff you're doing, like training. I mean, of course, I think, <laughs> in my professional opinion as a behavior consultant, um, of course, I think training is really important. Um, and so getting them into a group class or maybe you're buying an online class or whatever that might look like. I mean, I know for us, most of our classes that run eight weeks are, you know, 160 in the 160 range. So Again, that's like 80 bucks a month for a tra- group training class that, again, is just an additional expense that is important. And, and you know, I do this for a living, but I, I take my dogs to a class. <laughs> I like the accountability. I think it's important to be in a group setting. And, and, and I know all this. I could do this all on my own. It's, it's something I do for a living. But I like the group setting just to work puppies in a group setting. So... Um, classes are another thing, you know, that, that to consider. And if you want to do the puppy class and then you want to go on to some more adult classes, I mean, that's another cost incurred, um, to just, just something to, I think, kind of budget for and kind of consider. So those are some pieces to, to think about. Um, and then, you know, if you want to go into any kind of sports, you know, that's kind of ongoing forever, right? Like if you get into agility or you get into barn hunt or you get into something like that, that's kind of ongoing for I mean forever really that that you could do this sport so that might be a weekly cost associated with a class and I would say most of the classes in the Midwest are anywhere from $20 an hour to 25 20 to $30 an hour I would say 35 maybe um, kind of in that range um, so if you're doing you know a nose work class four times a month I mean that could be $120 a month you know that that is a is a piece to kind of consider as well. So um, classes, and then if you get into more technical behavior modification, which isn't training, it's, you know, working at an emotional level. I mean, that's a lot more expensive. I mean, most behavior consultants are anywhere from 125 to 225 an hour, I guess I would say in our area. Um, really specialized veterinary, a veteran, a board certified veterinary behaviorist. I think they're at like 425 an hour, somewhere 375. I think I looked 375, 425 an hour. Um, if you get into kind of some extreme, um, behavior modification and need some specialized help. So, um, that's something to kind of 
wrap your head around too. And then the last piece is boarding. You know, I think that's something we don't always think about when we have a young dog. But boarding, you know, whether you have a dog that stays at a friend's, which would be ideal, right? You don't maybe have a payment. You can maybe, you know, bake them some bread or <laughs> bring them some veggies from your garden or something. Um, but boarding facilities and boarding services like Rover or maybe in-home pet care, you know, that's not cheap either. I mean, I think, I, I don't know what the cost in our area is, but maybe $25 for like a 30 minute walk for a dog sitter to come into your home. Boarding, I think runs about 45 to 50 bucks a night. Um, and, and I, I, again, might be quoting that wrong, but somewhere around there. So that's something to consider too. I mean, my goodness, if you're gone for a week and you're boarding your dog, that's a big expense. You know, if you don't have someone that can watch your dog in their home and maybe you have someone that can watch your dog in their home, but um, maybe now the dogs don't get along and then that kind of spins a different piece to how you're going to be boarding your dog or paying someone to stay in your home. So um, that's another kind of big expense. So I want you to kind of think about all those things. And I know that's a lot of financials to kind of throw around, but I think some of the pieces we maybe don't think about, um, and we certainly don't expect, I mean, gosh, some of the acute injuries that happen are certainly not things that you expect when you get a puppy. You know, you don't expect them to, you know, break a carpus or a pastern or something, jumping off the back deck on the ice or straining something or, or whatever that might look like. And so I think mentally preparing and financially preparing for a lot of those things is, is important because it's, it affects our mental health as well. You know, if you're stressing out that your dog needs a cruciate repair and it's ridiculously expensive, I mean, that's a big stressor on our own lives. And, you know, we get pets to decrease our stress. So we certainly don't want something that would increase our stress in, in those contexts. So that's a lot to think about. Um, you know, in terms of, of how much a lot of this is going to cost you. And then also from a breed perspective, an exercise grooming perspective, I mean, what are those pieces that I'm willing to kind of put in? Do I not want to do any grooming? And I have, you know, a short haired dog where, you know, I just want a boxer where I just can do their nails once in a while or a Vishla where, you know, again, they just need their nails trimmed. You don't need to groom anything on them. Um, what kinds of things are you willing to do? Um, you know, what do you enjoy? Do you enjoy grooming? I mean, I enjoy grooming my dogs and they're not heavily coated dogs. They're somewhat moderately coated dogs, but um, I think it's a, a fun, like a bonding piece, but I don't have to groom for three hours at a time. Like a lot of people that have maybe a, a double coated dog or a heavier coated dog. So something to kind of consider in your, in your house and then your family members, you know, do they like small dogs, like big dogs? What kind of neighbors do you have? Do you have livestock? Do you live in an urban setting, a rural setting? Um, you know, what, if I pick a specific breed, what were they bred to do? And how is that going to meld into my current situation? So those are just some kind of random pieces to think about when we're talking about picking a dog and, and some pieces looking ahead, you know, especially those first you know, three years or so, there's a lot of expense associated with it. And then middle age, you hope, knock on wood, right, that nothing really happens. And then when you get an older dog, you know, you often have health problems that kind of pop up, you know, things that need to be removed from their body and, and um, you know, maybe cognitive decline and maybe some orthopedic stuff and, and things like that. But, um, 
I mean, if you think, you know, we all love our dogs to live, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years, um, you know, there's a lot happening in, in those years. So consider wisely and, and kind of take all these things into consideration when you're when you're looking f to add a dog into your family 